there was a moment when the Duke Blue Devil mascot pushed down Portnoy's laptop, the front of it, and I thought he was going to get into a fight on the court, but <laughs> thankfully cooler heads prevailed. Hello and welcome to the Indiana Daily Students Men's Basketball Podcast presented by TIS College Bookstore. I'm Ben Portnoy alongside Murphy Wheeler and Cam Drummond. Guys, what's going on? I'm just really jacked that it's December now. I don't know about it. You're late. Else. You're still late about that. I don't it's care. It's December 2nd today. Yeah, but I'm just ecstatic You're that a day late. It's the month of December. Drinking hot cocoa is in a season. My birthday's this month. There's Christmas this month. There's only two weeks. You one have a birthday? We- There's only one week of classes this month. When's that's, your- that's the most important thing, I think, is that we're almost done with classes for the semester. Right. When's your birthday? December. Uh, well, uh, I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say that to the public. I don't want them to know too much about me. It's December 9th. Uh, yeah, you could see it like coming so out of the his night, mouth. It's, it's midnight of the Louisville game. Yeah. Right. It's also on my Facebook profile, I guess. So I guess that was going to be yeah, defeating so. the purpose. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Big Brother uh, watching over us. D- 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 <laughs> <laughs> <Big> brother. <laughs> d- nice, nice George Orwell uh, hey, nine, reference to get us going look, this morning. Ni- 1984 Slaps. Yeah, it's not, so Animal Farm. Animal Farm is one of my favorite books. I love that book. We do talk about this team on this podcast every we now do, and then. We do, yes. No. Uh, jumping off to that, jumping off to uh, to a little more uh, sports related content. Uh, Indiana basketball one and one this week, taking lost to the mighty Blue Devils of Duke down at Cameron Indoor Stadium in Durham. Cam and I were there, and a nice gritty win against Northwestern. We'll get to both of those, but guys, let's start with uh, let's start early in the week. Duke Tuesday night. Uh, wasn't exactly pretty. Absolutely uh, Cam, not. Nope. Murphy, what'd you guys think? So, I mean, as Ben mentioned, both of us were there on site in Durham, almost getting hit by basketballs and crushed by Zion Williamson. Uh, Can't there, confirm. There was a moment when the Duke Blue Devil mascot pushed down Portnoy's laptop, the front of it, and I thought he was going to get into a fight on the court, but <laughs> thankfully cooler heads prevailed. They did. Yes, Murphy's looking at me like I have three heads right now. This actually happened. No, that, this like, actually happened. Interesting. He also yeah. wrote a note to Bloomington Herald Times beat writer Mike Miller that just said hello, and then they finger gun pointed at each other for like five seconds. That's electric. There was a lot it of wild electric. stuff going on on the sideline. The Blue Devil mascot, I think he was like, I don't know, he was he was on one. Like, there wasn't a ton of electric stuff going on on the court for Indiana. Okay, though. enough of the segues. My God. <laughs> well, here's the thing. <laughs> when we previewed the Duke game with uh, Mitchell Gladstone of the Duke Chronicle, we thought this was going to go two ways. Either Indiana was going to give him a heck of a fight in the first half, stay competitive for maybe 10 minutes in the second period, and then kind of wither away, or Duke was going to go out to a really hot start, maybe get on like a 15-4 to run and just kind of get that double-digit lead and never look back against Indiana. And, Murphy, that's basically exactly what happened. Yeah, I mean, it was really disappointing, I thought, IU could go in there and give them a pretty good game, especially with Devontae Green and Zach McRoberts coming back from injury. And at least for a half, too. Like, at right, least at least for, for a, a half. minute period. But it really was just never close. Well, and it was just very careless basketball that IU was playing. They didn't look like they had a lot of energy, which was, you know, that that's kind of disappointing in itself. You go into a big atmosphere like that at Duke, you don't have that kind of energy. That's, you know, that's not okay. But th- it was just really careless basketball overall. They had how many turnovers was it? 20 for the game, but 20 it was had, 20, in the game, 20 in the game, 13, seven, 17 in the first was half. Was it 17, 17 in the first it was, half? It was 13 in the first half. May have been 17, honestly. I have no idea, it but it doesn't matter because either way, that's terrible. Justin Smith had five or six of his own. Right, yeah, himself. he had five. Fantasy had, had four. Like four. Green had three. Devontae Green and Zach McRoberts, like, like they did in the Northwestern game, came off the bench, both of them, for both games. They didn't do anything. They didn't do a ton of... 
whether it was even stuff on the court or stuff that shows up in the box score, you didn't see a real, you know, burst of life or anything like that, especially in the Duke game. Nobody did anything in that game for IU. No one did anything well. The Duke game? Yeah, no one did anything well in the Duke game. Name me one thing if somebody did well. I mean, it was just bland. Like, even Romeo Langford, who led the team in scoring, was yeah. had a bad thir- shooting He had 13 three for points, 15. but he was three, yeah, three for 15 from the field. I mean, that's the worst game he's played all year. And now, now some of that is credit to Duke. I mean, Duke played a really good game. That is that is a legit national title contender. They I mean, beat like, Stetson by, like, a billion yesterday. I mean, Stetson's no one, but Duke's going to be around. Like Yeah, I mean, this is going to be a team that I think is going to be at the Final Four and if not winning a national title at the end of the year. I mean, Zion Williamson does things that I don't think, did not think are possible on a basketball court. He is the thickest human I've ever seen. He is like 6'11 of just pure sculpted muscle. There is no like fat to latch on to. Yikes, okay. That man is marble. This is where Cam starts talking like a serial killer again. (laughs) Oh boy. We're off to a good start today. (laughs) But yeah, I I mean, I think too, like, you know, Juwan Morgan got an early foul trouble in the game and he wasn't really able to have an impact. He only, he went for eight, four and three, but that was in 24 minutes. Normally he plays what? 35 minutes a game. Right. Um, Same goes. Justin Smith had an abysmal game. Uh, He was really just terrible. Al Durham had a couple of nice shots, nine points. Uh, Fitzner had 12 points. He was, what, three for four from the three-point line? He was their leading scorer uh, for most of the game just yeah. based on a couple early threes he hit maybe by, like, the five-minute mark of the first and half. And, frankly, those three-pointers that he hit in the first half are the only reason Indiana didn't lose this game by, like, 35. Um, yeah. I mean, they, that and the y- fact that Duke got zero help from its starters in the second half. They'd have the bench kind of give the crowd a bit more juice about midway through, even though the game had already been decided. Yeah, and to give Indiana some credit, they ca- they did win the second half for what that's worth. Uh, the 40-37 in the second half, it was 53-29 to in the first half. So, you know, take that with a grain of salt. But um, Thanks, Captain Optimism. Yeah, exactly, I know. But, it, but no, I mean, it, this was a game that really Indiana never had a chance in. Um, they they just really were outclassed, and I think I, yeah. I think we kind of expected that. I think it's just two teams that are at very different stages uh, of their season. I think this is an Indian team that, for as much talent as they have, they are rather young. I mean, you throw McRoberts and Juwan Morgan, and I get that, but at the same time, like the other guys who are supposed to be key pieces on this team are are young guys. It's a Romeo Langford, it's a Justin Smith, it's it's guys who, you know, really haven't played a lot of minutes in college. Um, even even Justin Smith, who played who did play decent decent minutes last year but at the same time still learning so but at the, sa- I, at the I think- same time didn't we kind of expect these young guys to maybe i mean we've seen this from rob finnessy well enough early in the season but didn't we expect these kind of younger guys especially justin smith to kind of maybe grab the bull by the horns a bit yeah more aggressive? That, oh, that's I, why it's I, disappointing I, I agree i just think that like if you're looking for and i not to be like the always optimist whatever but i i, I think that there are real. Uh, this is a team that's going to take some time to gel, and I think that if they, you know, losing a game against the bet, what who I think is probably the best team in the country, uh, at home and a, you know, in a really, really, really tough place to play, I, it is what it is, kind of with with yeah. a team like with where Indiana's at. I, I think that is a little bit why that performance was a little disappointing as a whole, though, because I think a lot of people thought this team was good enough to go in there and compete as they are right now. And they showed they aren't. They showed how far behind they actually are. We talk about them getting outclassed. Yes, they did get outclassed, and yes, they showed their weaknesses. And I think that's not where a lot of people thought this team was. I think I thought this team was a little bit ahead of that, you know, at this point in the season. And that's why it's mainly disappointing. Now, I know there's a lot of things going into that. We can talk about injuries. We can talk about all these different things. Um, But when it comes down to it, I mean, I wrote a column on it after the Duke game. IU just seemed like they kind of didn't 
prove themselves when this was kind of the game that they had the opportunity to prove themselves and show the kind of team, the talented team that they could be. And this this is something that got mentioned. A couple, I forget who I was talking to about this, but I think it got mentioned after the after the Duke game. Um, but Indiana, it, not that this is an exact correlation, but in 1980, 1981, when Indiana won the national title, that was Bob Knight's, I think, second title uh, with the Hoosiers. Uh, they lost a game, two back-to-back games early in the season, won by a two-point loss to uh, Kentucky, a number two team in the country. They lost a number nine Notre Dame by four points. They lost by nine at North Carolina, um, a similar type game. Uh, it was a December 20th game, so it was a little later than the Duke game. But... Um, and that was a number eight North Carolina team that that really handled them pretty 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 well that night. Um, I mean, we but, live in an era too. But, where but we've that seen was a team that, like, you know, look, they dropped three of their first ten games, three of their first seven games here, uh, three of their first eight rather, and they ended up going on to win a national title. I'm not saying that's a, to forecast that Indiana's going to win a national title, but my point is that like right. crazier things have happened. Right. I think they lost to like Pan American that year or something. They lost to Clemson. I can't remember. Yeah, they did lose to Texas Pan American. Yeah, Texas Pan American. Well, the, I was going to say, we live in an era, too, where we've seen an eight seed win a national championship. Like, you don't have to be a top four seed right. to win the NCAA tournament. It's such a crapshoot. It's such a lottery based on matchups and based on who you play and things like that. To where, I mean, being undefeated and all is great, but the odds of you being an undefeated national champion are maybe what a minute percentage yeah i agree but and and like i said like this isn't us just saying that indiana's going to go out and win a national title but it's just that you know keep things in perspective because i think this team yes they lost one game but it's also one game against a really good team early in the season with a team that's going to need to uh going to need to mesh some more as the season goes right. on um all right looking at that we're 10 minutes in here let's uh, let's jump to jump to northwestern um uh, this was just kind of a weird game. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Mur- Murphy and I couldn't really figure out what was going on up in the press box. Uh, Cam was over in the penalty box. Yeah. I don't know what you and uh, you and your the gang over there had to say. <laughs> Me, but Jordan Gusky, Andy Graham, and Pete DePremio were having a great time there. That's that's an electric crew. It was but, a factory of electricity. But uh, this was just kind of it was the way I described it in my story last night was that it was just kind of like the rough and rugged kind of gritty Big Ten basketball game. Like, this this game was, like, the epitome of Big Ten basketball. Yeah. It was just, like, there were a lot of fouls. It was pretty physical, a lot of leaves changes. It, it just was a kind of a grinded-out uh, game for both teams. Um, a lot of post presence from uh, Dur- Dirk Pardon. Uh, it Dirk. Was Dirk. It's, yeah, it's Dirk. a very weird Dirk. name. Dirk. 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 D-E-R-E-R-K. Yes, Dirk Pardon. Not Dirk. Um, he was good. He was good. He, was great, he had actually. what twenty four and twelve. Uh, yeah. I think last night 11, yeah. 11 to fifteen shooting, basically everything kind of in and around the rim because Indiana's yeah. interior defense was basically powerless against him. Yeah, he had, he had a big night and really held the Wildcats in it for most of the game. So, I, what were you guys' takeaways? It's Cam, I'll start with you. But I, I, I think this, for me, looking at this game, it was kind of a. I don't want to say it was a wake-up call, but it was it, it was kind of exactly what I thought I would expect out of the first Big Ten game. It's a young team, kind of like we said, playing in their first big game. It's it's kind of at that point in the season where there's still a number of firsts happening for a lot of these guys, and uh, I, I think that was what kind of struck me. Cam, what do you think? Right, well, I mean, I'd be remiss if not to mention the potential Juwan Morgan indus- injury, yeah. industry, excuse me, injury that could throw a complete wrench into whatever plans Indiana has, not only for the upcoming conference game at Penn State, but also for this difficult stretch of non-conference play they have coming up now, home against Louisville, and then against Butler in the Crossroads Classic. So 
as has been the case for most of this season, Juwan Morgan is the heart and soul of Indiana's offense. As he goes, the offense goes. And if he's not playing anywhere between 35 to 40 minutes a night, Indiana probably has two or three more losses instead of wins on the record so far this season. So he gets them basically to the point with about four minutes left where it's a tie game, a one-point game. Indiana and Northwestern are going back and forth. He goes down, will look like some kind of a right leg injury, had to be helped off the court, brought back to the locker room, came back out for the final few minutes. But when you lose that piece, it's a question of who's going to step up, who's going to assume that leadership role, who is going to, frankly, score the basketball and be that dependable player that Indiana can turn to in crunch time. We've already talked about this on the podcast this year. Like, we didn't think Indiana would have to rely on Juwan Morgan so much this season. It turns out they're almost relying on him more this year than they were last year. But so for that final four-minute stretch against Northwestern, you saw a really kind of weird makeshift lineup, you know, Deron Davis, Finnessy, Devontae Green, I think it was McRoberts and Romeo as well on the court there. And we saw Romeo Langford be the default guy. I mean, I don't think anyone's too surprised about that. But he did kind of carry that responsibility well, had a really good defensive play, yep. had a really nice offensive flow to give Indiana the lead with about 37 seconds left. Didn't go down as the winning point, but I thought we saw that Romeo could be the guy when everyone knows he's the guy, and especially without Juwan Morgan on the court to compliment him as well. Right. And I, you know, to preface this argument first, I will say Morgan has been so impressive. I think I've talked about already this year just how good of a player he has been. But, man, he showed again against Northwestern just how good he can be, um, not just in you know a scoring capacity down low, um, but just as a passer out of the post. I, I don't know if I've seen – a better passer out of the post this season out of the teams IU has played and IU in general. I don't think I've seen a better passer um, from a big guy like that. Would we all agree that Juwan Morgan's the team's most important player? Absolutely. Yeah, He's sure. 100% yeah. the most important player on this team. Um, and Romeo, you know, like you said, he stepped up last, you know, against Northwestern. I thought he did late in the game when Juwan went out, like you said, made a big defensive play, made a big offensive play. Um, you know, but then once you get past that, you get past those two guys, that's where the weakness is. And again, just like they, IU showed their weaknesses against Duke, they showed some more weaknesses against Northwestern, and that was they do not have that number three scoring option between behind those two guys. I don't know who it's going to be. There, there are options. There are plenty of options. Um, I've been saying it's going to be Justin Smith all year, um, and he hasn't done it yet. He had eight points against Northwestern, but you, you look at the box score, that may, be look, that may look okay, but he did not play that well. Um, overall, Devontae Green has the ability to do that. He hasn't been able to do that this year either. Now you could, you know, put injuries into that conversation or whatever. There are options there, but nobody has stepped up consistently, and that's what's holding this team back right now. I said in my column, Northwestern is in the lower tier of the Big Ten right now, and that, you know, that's not a bad thing. The Big Ten's a really good conference this year, and Northwestern's a fine team. They're very, very okay, I guess you could say. But IU, if they don't have somebody step up as that number three score, they're in that tier of teams right now. Right. They're in that lower team in the tier of the Big Ten. Well, it's something I guess we can all go around and talk about real quick. If we assume Juwan Morgan's scoring option number one, right, and Romeo Langford's scoring option right. number two, yeah. you said you think, I mean, there's options for whoever the third scoring option is going to be, whether it be Justin Smith, Devontae Gray, maybe even someone like Al Durham stepping up occasionally or things like that. Who should it be, though? It should be Smith. I think it should be Smith. It should Justin, absolutely Justin be Smith. Smith's the most logical answer. I mean, I think that he's got the most upside. He brings a lot of spark to the game. He can shoot the ball. He's got play. He's got got some moves off the bounce. I mean, extremely athletic. He, he, he kind of fits that number three scoring role. And I think I said it earlier in the season that like if there was a w- single player on this 
this team who could rise up draft boards mm-hmm. quickly or something like that has kind of come out of nowhere and, and head to the NBA next year, it, it would be Justin Smith just because he, he legitimately has that kind of upside. Absolutely. Um, I, I, and I think, like you said, Murphy, he's been really, really just inconsistent. That Duke game was terrible. I mean, Archie Miller talked about it after the game and said that he just his confidence is really low right now. He's he's not nece- doesn't necessarily have his head on straight, um, and you know some of that just takes time. I, I, I get it. Um, confidence is definitely a big thing, but he, uh, I mean, he to me has to be the guy. Yeah. And I think he, you know, I think he's shown flashes. He showed flashes last year of it. It just it's got to put it all together. And and I think it can it happens still. It just you know we're only what nine games into the season right so it feels like much longer than nine games or eight games into the season nine games into the season it's it just he he, he's got the time it's just got to happen sooner rather than later and i think if he doesn't figure it out by like the beginning say the beginning if if we are still wondering who the number three scorer in this team is in like mid-january then we have a problem exactly and you know smith has all the ability in the world like we've said he's extremely athletic he has nice moves i've said many times he needs to play a little bit bigger he needs to be able to go inside and be able to bang around down there a little bit better um you know so i think that is something he needs to get better with um but i mean and if smith doesn't step up i don't know who the other options are i think the other people have the ability to do that in stretches but not consistently smith's the only one that has the ability to do it consistently so this is kind of actually perfect timing. I just asked some Hoosier fans on Facebook in one of the Hoosier fan pages that I'm in, uh, to, you know, to kind of you know share the work that we do here at the Indiana Daily Student. I asked them, who would you like to see emerge as another scoring option for Indiana? And here are some of the few responses I've gotten mm-hmm. literally in the last five minutes. Uh, someone says Fennessy or Green. Someone said Davis. Someone said Green would be great. He just needs to be more consistent with his shot selection. And someone said, I think Durham has shown the most ability so far. So right there, you have Fennessy, Green, Davis, and Durham. People just rattled four names off the top of their head, and they all have different reasons and rationales for saying that. But I guess that just kind of lends credibility to Murphy's argument that there's so many possible people who can fill that role, but yet no one has actually demonstrated the ability to do that on a night-in or a night-out basis so far, wherein lies the problem. You don't know what you're going to get every night beyond Jawan and Romeo, and once one of those pieces, Jawan, goes away, potentially, you know, maybe missing the game at Penn State on Tuesday night, then when they're like, where are right. you at from an offensive scoring standpoint? Right, and the bad thing is, that's okay if you have somebody, you know, if you have Morgan and Langford do their normal thing and someone steps up and scores 14, 15 points behind them. But in the last few games, they haven't had anybody do that. That's the thing. I guess Nobody's back, played no one's that done well. That all the way back to Marquette, I think you could right, say. Right, exactly. And I think that you could say Al Durham was the guy that did that. Evan Fitzner was kind of the guy that did that against Marquette. But you haven't seen anybody step up and be able to do that these last few games, and that's what's holding them back right now. You guys mentioned Al Durham, and he's someone that I've definitely been high on yeah. uh, this year. And I, I actually really think that he could end up being this number three scorer, too. He's shown a lot of flashes of being able to get the ball to the hoop. He, he was in foul trouble last night. Uh, I, I think he had ended the game with like four personal fouls. Mm-hmm. Um, so he didn't play a ton of minutes down the stretch. Um, looking at the stat sheet, he only played 12 minutes, but he still had seven points, had an assist. Um, and, and I think that he actually has as much upside as I'm not going to say he's you know the same upside as Justin Smith, but like for this team and where he fits in, I think he could fit. In. He has the upside to be that number three scoring person, and I think he, <laughs> and I think he gives some extra, some extra capability in, in a scoring role out of the guard position. Because I mean, obviously a lot of that's going to come from Romeo Langford. You're going to get points from Juwan Juwan Morgan um, in the front court, but outside of Romeo Langford, you know, Rob Fennessy has been really 
he's been really hit or miss and he had a really poor game last night. Uh, yeah. He didn't didn't play tons. He did against Duke to, uh, too. Didn't quite play yeah. quite as many minutes. Played twenty eight minutes, so a good chunk, but not quite as many as been, he has been playing. Um, some of that can be wear and tear, but uh, he he only had one assist and three points last yesterday. I, just kind of a rough rough outing for him. Um, but but that's why I think that Al Durham really fits. I think he I, I think he's got a lot more length than people get, realize. He he's at six four. I mean he's he's a lanky guy. He's got some size. Uh, he's got a really nice shooting stroke from the outside. Um, he's not going to shoot you know fifty percent from the three point line. But I, I I really think he can be a 35 percent shooter from out there. Um, and, and he's got some bounce. I mean he can get up get up, get out in transition uh, get to the hoop. He, he's got kind of a knack for getting to the getting to the rim. Um, and I think he's another guy worth throwing in that conversation. To put kind of a nice bow on this discussion as we're, we're heading to a break here in a second, someone just posted in response to my question about who would they would like to see as another scoring option, mm-hmm. and their post was, why not everyone, everyone in all caps with three question marks and three exclamation points following it. You know, they're not completely wrong. <laughs> they make a valid point there. <laughs> so uh, anyway, well, we're going to take a quick break. Well, that'll uh, wrap it up for the uh, – basketball talk on the other side we'll have a uh, nice little special feature for you uh, last days of night the espn 30 for 30 directed by robert abbott uh aired on espn on thursday we're going to talk a little bit about that uh murphy's got a column about that story i sat down with uh robert and uh we've got some good good content for you coming on the other side so stick around we'll see you then tis college bookstore has been outfitting generations of iu fans for over 56 years and we have the largest selection of iu apparel and gifts in bloomington start your holiday shopping with 25 percent off one regular priced apparel or gift item at iugear.com when you use promo code iubb If you're in town for the game, stop by TIS and show us your athletic ticket stub, and we'll give you 25% off one IU sportswear item. TIS College Bookstore, representing everything IU. And we're back here on the Indiana Daily Student Men's Basketball Podcast, presented by TIS Bookstore. I'm Ben Portnoy, alongside Murphy Wheeler and Cam Drummond. Uh, like we said on the other side, we're going to talk uh, talk a little bit about the last days of night. Obviously, uh, this is a 30 for 30. It aired on, uh, Saturday, on Thursday, rather. Uh, Robert Abbott's piece on kind of the end of Bob Knight's tenure and uh, his original reporting back in late 90s, early 2000s that, uh, that led to uh, Knight's ousting. And uh, obviously, we all know what kind of a, a contentious figure Bob Knight is around around this these parts, and uh, frankly, this state, and even nationally too. Um, I, we had a pri- we had a nice screening of it here at the media school. Uh, I, I, there were close to two hundred people here, I, by my by my estimates. Uh, it was really full. It was really packed. Um, Robert and uh, John Dahl, an executive at ESPN, were here. Um, they answered some questions after after the film. It was a really really cool event. Um, Let's talk about the film kind of takeaways, anything you guys thought maybe stuck out. Um, I know I've definitely got a few thoughts, but uh, Murphy, as you wrote the column, I'll leave it up to you. Yeah, no, I I thought it was interesting. Uh, After we watched the film, I didn't really plan on writing anything about it, but I thought maybe I could write a review, kind of a review slash column sort of thing um, about it. And I, I, I thought, first of all, the documentary was a huge success. I thought he did a lot. Uh, he, he he accomplished a lot with this film, and, you know, it goes way beyond Bob Knight, and that's why it was important. And, you know, he wanted to stress that at the Q&A, Robert Abbott did. Um, he wanted to stress, you know, this is not a biopic of Bob Knight, and that's why it's more of a, su- a success than anything else um, because, you know, it's more of a, a humanization of Neil Reed who has been 
um, kind of a um, ostracized an ostracized figure here in the state of Indiana for a while. Um, and you know, it's more it's also a little bit of closure for Abbott um, with that story that he reported on you know originally. And it's also about you know holding people in power um, accountable for things that they do. And by all you know accounts, Bob Knight may have been the most powerful person in the state of Indiana at the time, which is quite insane, you know. And if not the state of Indiana, at least definitely Indiana University. The university, yeah, right? which is insane. I mean, they used an example of in practice. He literally kicked the president of the university out of practice. Miles Brand, right? And he left. Yeah. Yes, Miles Brand, and he left. <laughs> I mean, that's just insane if you really you know think about it. Right. Um, and I'm sure the compensation figures would have backed that up as right, well. Right. Exactly. But you know, all these things that Abbott accomplishes here. Um, you know, I, I kind of went a little bit deeper with that in my column. Um, he, he almost accomplishes something else that I don't really know if he tried to. Um, and that's that he kind of makes people from Indiana. Again, I've, we've talked about this before. I'm from Indiana. I'm from 30 minutes south of here. I've grown up in Bob Knight country, literally. Um, and I've, I've always been a Bob Knight fan growing up. Um, but he does make you, Abbott does make you showing Knight's actions, showing the way Neil Reed was affected by all of this. It does make you kind of step back and kind of look at yourself um, and kind of, you know, think about, hey, were we right about this all along? You know, was this the right way to go about this? Um, and, you know, the state of Indiana, again, what made Bob Knight so powerful was he was the, you know, he was the figure. He was the, his ideals were Indiana. I mean, that's where the state of Indiana's ideals um, and that's why he was so powerful, and that's quite an amazing feat for a basketball coach. Um, but I, I do think it does the, – the documentary does overall kind of make you step back and look at yourself a little bit more, if you're from – especially if you're from Indiana. Yeah, there's that, and I think that what you learn – and I, I think something that stuck out to me that was really interesting was that when, when Robert mentioned um, in, in, in his post uh, – post-film chat, uh, that he he didn't want people, he didn't want fierce Bob Knight defenders, and he didn't want fierce Bob Knight critics. He wanted right. it to be down the middle as much as possible, and, and I really respected that. I thought that was a really interesting take, um, and, and I think it made sense. I mean, it, it's like anything, and Bob Knight has become, Bob Knight, like any kind of politicized figure or issue, um, is going to have people who are staunch critics and staunch defenders, mm-hmm. and I think that um, you definitely saw a lot of that out and about uh, in the Twitter sphere. Uh, oh, after absolutely. this, after this film, mm-hmm. but but something that was also interesting to me was uh, Robert tweeted this a- after the film had aired, um, and the, uh, on Thursday night rather, um, or Thursday at five thirty, so it was a little bit before, uh, I believe. And he said this film is not a hit job. It also is. It is also not a Bob Knight biography. It is the story of what happened after I was asked to find out why three high school All Americans left Indiana University in Bob Knight's program in the span of two years, ninety seven to ninety nine. And and I think that's really important to note. I think that, you know, this isn't to say, you know, I, I really don't think this was a plot to assassinate Bob Knight's character right. or anything like that. I think this was a in my view, a perfectly well reported and incredibly rather incredibly well reported story. Mm-hmm. Um, one that was unbiased, one that Abbott gave plenty, plenty of opportunities for Knight and whoever to to address the media, to come cl- not come clean is maybe not the right word, but to, to say their side of the story, and they wouldn't have it. Um, I think it showed a lot of, you know, to use the NCAA's own words, uh, a lack of institutional control. I think there, I think there was a lot of um, contentiousness within this story, and I think, uh, understandably, I mean, Bob Knight's not a guy who puts up with a lot, and I think that, right. you know, to be 
whatever you want to call it, outed um, for for behavior that frankly is is kind of appalling. Um, but there still are always going to be the certain segments of the audience out there, and you could see it oh, in the social absolutely. media posts and the Twitter posts. Absolutely, yeah. I just who think just I just will not. I mean, well, regardless of what was but in I the think, documentary, but I think they will the, not budge but about But I this. think that this story is not necessarily just about Bob Knight. It's, about it's Bob, not. It's about Bob Knight. It's about Neil Reed, and it's about the, the Indiana University basketball program. Yeah. Um, it, it's a show that there was an institutionally people knew what was going on at Bob Knight, and people were afraid to step up to power. And I think that that you know something that Robert said to me when we when we talked about talked uh, in the in the studio the other day um, was that this this was about. The way he phrased it was this movie was about power and the people who allow who allow it to be abused and the and the dangers of unchecked power. Right. And I think that's a really good way to look at it. I mean, when you take a step back and look at the bigger picture, I think that's what this film was about. It was that someone was granted an immense amount of power for right or wrong. I mean, Bob Knight was an incredibly good basketball coach. He won whatever, four national championships. Um Five national championships, four national championships, rather. I thought it was three. Was it three? Three. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah. Three numbers are hard. <laughs> God, I can't count. Um, three national championships, um, and and was incredibly successful. But at the same time, he was doing things that weren't okay, and and was allowed to do things because people didn't check that power. And I, and I think that's what this story is about. And it's also the tragic story of Neil Reed. Right. Yeah. And the the thing is, he went Abbott went the right approach with this whole thing because again. If it was a biography of Bob Knight, it would have been absolutely trashed, I think, by people. Um, because, again, I, I've I pointed out in my column— It's not as much the interesting—this is a more interesting story than a right. biopic on— it, Everybody, th- all the things that Knight did, all the theatrics, people have seen it, people have heard it. It's been out there been for a while. There's been books about yeah. it, there's been other documentaries about it. It wouldn't exactly. have been anything new, I guess. Exactly. And uh, to be honest with you, you can't hate on people on— social media for being mad about this because again it shows in the film just how much of an identity of the state bob knight was and i will say people are going to stand by him for a long time because something that maybe didn't come out as much in the film that i maybe would have liked it to because i think it would have taken it to that next level is bob knight did a lot for this community a lot for this state um, that goes unseen uh, a lot of great things but he also had that dark side to him. And, I, and you know, Abbott did say that in the Q&A. He said, you know, for as many as, you know, as great as ideals as he had and as many of great qualities that he had, he had that dark side. And he absolutely did. And it just kind of started spiral, yeah. spiraling out of control as he went along, especially in 97 through 99 when they weren't winning as much at the same time. Well, I was about to say, so, I mean, we have, like, three different perspectives here, right? Obviously, Ben, you sat down with Robert. You got kind of the behind-the-scenes look at the film, and, I mean, we all watched it, so you have that, but you also have, you know, kind of his perspective as to what he was thinking when he was putting this together. Murphy is literally the embodiment of Southern Indiana (laughs) basketball. (laughs) Play in high school. You mentioned you play in a Bob Knight system in high school. Did you really? Yeah, motion offense, everything. And, like, you know, the leadership, the toughness, all that kind of stuff. You told me stories, you know, it's kind of us talking about how some of your practices went in high school and yeah. things like that. And then you have me, who's from Dallas, Texas. I had no idea. Like, I knew Bob Knight got fired. I knew Bob Knight did bad things. Honestly, I had no clue about the Neil Reed story or any of the specifics of it until I watched the documentary, just based on the fact that, look, I didn't take a super vested interest in Indiana University until I came here two years ago. Right. So yeah. this is all kind of fresh and new to me. And every time I hear someone tell a Bob Knight story or, for example, watch the documentary, I'm just still struck by the allegiance he was able to to carve from people not only 
near Bloomington and who are fans of Indiana, but just people around the state. I think there was one team in the documentary where I'm guessing this was after one of their title winning teams, Ronald Reagan is having mm, them yeah, at yeah. the White House. And Reagan is just championing Bob Knight's ideals. You know, yeah. he makes the kids go to class, he gets them their degrees, he right. leads by hard work, dedication, ethical play, he doesn't cheat, things like that. And Goodness, I just can't imagine that thing being a case today, like where one man yeah. controls a state and controls how people view him, like in the palm of his hand, like that. I mean, even something like Nick Saban in Alabama. That's why that, that was my closest comparison. Yeah, and that's not even he close, doesn't even I don't have think. that kind of power, and that's insane. I, and that's what I think. So there's, so there's long before I forget. There's longevity there too, because like yeah. you could say something like Nick Saban, but Nick Saban was in the NFL for a bit. He would coach other colleges, things like that. Bob Knight was literally here an institution, right? Yeah. I mean, Bob Knight was here for 29 years. Like yeah. that, that's, absolutely, that's, that's, that's the a definition of institution, right? Exactly, and and I think too, I, I think Cam, I kind of fall into your camp a little bit as well. As you know, I'm born and raised in D.C. I had no vested rooting interest in Indiana or yeah. anything like that till I came to school here. Um, obviously, you know, we cover the team, so it's you even look at it from a different perspective because of that. Right, and, and so you know, I knew the Bob Knight story, sort of, um, uh, coming into this school, and obviously. Learn more and more, obviously, with this 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 film, um, and I think it was just I, I think for me, and I I'd like to think that I looked at it a pretty unbiased way. It's not that you know I I really didn't have any initial thoughts on Bob Knight. I mean, the guy won three national championships, but he got fired for stuff that shouldn't be happening. And I think that you know, it, I can understand people wanting national championships. I can understand people wanting success, but at the same time, that doesn't excuse the behavior of someone winning doesn't cure all ills and i think that's something that's um become come to even the forefront of our society a little bit today and i and i think that that's what stri strikes me I, I know i was watching this film with some of my friends and one I, I said you know my argument was that i was kind of playing devil's advocate was that you know i get that bob knight won a lot but that doesn't you know like it kind of like what i just said that doesn't excuse what he did and he was still doing despicable things and one of the th comments that one of my friends made <laughs> was, "Who cares? He won national titles," and I, and I think that's just that's just sort of a a minor sort of microcosm of what what how people view Bob Knight. People don't care yeah. what they're doing. People, you know, oh, it's a different time. Was another. It, it was a you know that stuff was okay in the seventies and eighties and nineties, and it's just like that doesn't make it right. And and I think that's the important thing to know here. It's you know, the, winning doesn't cure everything, and I think that. As a society, we can't just let things like this go by. It's not out to get people. It's just a matter of you know uncovering things that shouldn't be happening. And, and I think that that I think was kind of what Robert said. And when I talked to him, and I think he said it uh, in his public co comments as well. I mean, this this was a film about something that was happening. Uh, three three McDonald's All Americans had left, and what what was the story behind it? What happened, and why did they leave? And this is what ha was uncovered. And it, it wasn't – he was never in this, and I, I wholeheartedly believe that Robert was never in this to get Bob Knight fired right. or, right. you know, create this huge scandal. That That's not what reporters do. Right. I don't think he was either. And, and I think that that's something that people who are staunch Bob Knight uh, – Supporters right. um, tend to ignore, and I, and I think critics ignore the good things that P, that Bob Knight did do. And and Murphy, you mentioned that, and I think that's definitely a really good point. Is that Bob Knight did do a lot for this community, yeah. and, 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 there got, was, and there made his players yeah. graduate and thing, made them go to class and things like that. And there there was a lot of good that Bob Knight did, and I think that's definitely lost a little bit. But but this is, to me, it's just a matter of you know, 
bad things were happening. They were uncovered, and just because someone won doesn't make them okay. Yeah, and you, you talk about again the good things. There was a really good part that Abbott. There's a clip that a really good clip that Abbott put in the documentary that I thought was really powerful. Um, was when they were talking about Landon Turner, who played here in the '80s, um, and he had his career was cut short because he was in a terrible car accident that right. paralyzed him from the neck. Uh, he, he paralyzed, paralyzed him out right. neck down or whatever. Um, and he was doing a, a TV interview right after that happened, and uh, they, I think the interviewer asked him something like, "Well, you seem like you're really proud of him," and he he almost started crying. He said, yeah. "Well, wouldn't you be?" And I've never seen that clip before, and I thought, uh, yeah. "Wow, you that do not really see that me. side yeah. of him." Very often. I think what, I mean, this is like a very surface level observation, but something that, sh- something that should still be no- noted is just how muddled and how much more difficult this story becomes because of what's happened in the last 10 to 15 years following Knight's firing. It's, I mean, it's one yeah. thing to be fired from a school based on doing bad things. And it's one thing for that school to say, we don't want you coaching our men's basketball program anymore. But what's interesting about Bob Knight, Indiana, is yes, he did all those bad things, and yes, he did all those good things, but Indiana still has tried to welcome him back, and it hasn't. Well, I, mean, yeah. there, I mean, I remember my freshman year, 2016, they had the reunion of the mm-hmm. 1976 team, yeah, and they invited him a- back to be honored before that game against North Carolina, and he declined. And obviously he had those comments on the Dan Patrick radio show basically saying, I hope everyone mm-hmm. in Indiana who was involved in my firing is dead by it's, now. It's a strained relationship. It's never going to be cured. Right. I mean, and that's because Knight's a very stubborn person, yeah. um, and he's just not going to do that. And he's very – at this point in his life, he seems really bitter. Um, well, I just think – I mean, he's been in Bloomington a couple of times. Too, to he speak has. At and he's not North, bitter Bloomington towards South. the fans. Well, I, I, mean, I went he, to one of his yeah. talks at Bloomington North, actually, yeah. Yeah, when yeah, he came like here. Years, yeah. And, uh, you know, he even said – he said, you know, I love the fans. I love the people. He just hates the administration of the university. He hates the university <laughs> But I, now. I think it almost speaks to the effect that he had on people here and the fact that the university almost knows what he means to yeah. the people in and around here. Because that they want him to come back. Yeah, it's not so often you see a coach fired for gross misconduct like right. this in the it's university's a, it's quite like, amazing. At any point, hey, why don't you come on back? That's why IU basketball will never be the same. It will never be the same because – People are still hung up on Bob Knight, and they always what will it, be. What would it take? Would it just take time? I, time I really think that's the championship. championship. <laughs> I think that 76 reunion made a lot of sense for Knight to come back. It, yeah, it, was really, it did. It was really a symbolic thing. Um, I, I mean, every almost everyone from that team was back. I remember that pretty vividly. I was at that game, and it, it was a pretty Same, powerful, yeah. really cool moment. I think it was Isaiah Thomas stepped up yeah. and said something and said, um, if I remember right, said, said something along the lines of, you know. That would have been coach, the 81 team. But yes. Rather, you're right. It was the 81 team. Me, yeah. It was the 81 team um, that, that was back. And I think Isaiah Thomas stepped forward and said, you know, Coach Knight, we miss you. Indiana University misses you, and we want you back. And that really hit me. And I, that was probably one of my first forays into um, the whole Bob Knight saga and, like, just seeing it in right. person. And, and when I heard that, I kind of thought, okay, like, th- th- this is a very real thing. Yeah. And and I think it was really interesting. You, you could hear the compassion in his voice. Um, and, and I think that was just – I don't know. It just, it, it just hit me as, you know, I can understand Bob Knight being bitter. I can understand him being upset about being fired. But I think there's almost, like – I, I think there's almost an ignorance to Bob Knight in that he doesn't feel like he did anything wrong. He doesn't. And, and I think that's like, I don't know, I don't want to call it scary, it's just kind of this, I, I think that's what complicates this whole thing, is that Knight kind of feels wrong because he doesn't feel like he did anything that was so horrible. A lot of people don't think he did anything wrong. Right, and and, and, and yeah, like you said, I think that's a that's a widely widely uh, accepted thing, is that you know what he did wasn't that big a deal. Um, and, and I think that's just kind of, 
that complicates how this whole thing went down. Um, and, and I think that it, it, it's been kind of Bob Knight's revenge tour ever since he yeah. was fired from Indiana University. And right. I, and I think it won't ever end. And with the film, an important word that we've talked about a lot is bias. Um, because, again, I don't think Abbott had any kind of biases, you know, towards Bob Knight or anything like that. And he even said, you know, his original investigation started because they just wanted to know why all Americans were leaving, and they were going to go with the approach of— It's like the AAU basketball. AAU basketball yeah. is kind of changing kids nowadays, and players aren't going to really be able to fit into a system like Knight's. Well, and for context, this was the time when, like, AAU basketball was starting to get big. Just starting to get big. Recruiting was starting to become a thing. Uh, you know, people people were starting to pay attention to high school kids in a way that they right. hadn't before. Right. What's and funny, the, though, is, yeah. like, the end of the—I mean, when you boil it down to what the, I guess, underlying message or— for for those of you in like high school English classes out there, sure. you know, I was asking, you know, what's the gist of this like eighteen word, you know, English poem that you just read, <laughs> and you have to sum it up in like a couple sentences. And when it comes down to this movie, Robert Abbott started this investigation because he wanted to know if Bob Knight was changing to adapt with the basketball times, and he found out the answer was no, but just not for the reasons that they initially assumed or presumed. Right. I mean, at the end of it, it's literally that. That's as simple as it is. Bob Knight did not change with the times, and neither was the, neither did the fan base, and they still haven't completely. And that's kind of what the end of my <laughs> column said. It's just you know, you know, you look at it, and they're going to still be apologists. There's still going to be haters of Bob Knight. There's going to be both factions, um, but those apo- those fans are still going to be very strong, um, and there's there's reasons to be. And I, there's still part of me that still believes in a lot of what Knight taught. And, uh, you know, that that's hard to kind of, you know, get that out of your mind. Try, you know, it's hard to get rid of that perspective. But that's what the film ultimately did, and that's why it was an ultimate success, because it made people with that kind of perspective really kind of look at themselves and realize, you know, we haven't changed a lot either. And that's why Knight got, you know, that's why Knight was let go, because he couldn't change either. So... You know that's that's the ultimate accomplishment I feel like of this film. Uh, let's I'm gonna I'm gonna close it out here quickly, but I there there's two quotes I want to share from from my story and my sit down with with Robert um, that I that I think really speak to this film. Um, first, there was the part about um, there, there's the part about the power and the unchecked uh, and it going unchecked, and he said there's no one necessarily to blame. It happens in baby steps. You may have three different president over someone's tenure. You may have four different athletic directors, and if each person lets a little thing go by go by after the year years and years of that, you can never go back. And I think that's that's an interesting point, and I think that's part of why this whole thing got built up so much. And you know, it happens in 29 years as a coach, you gain more clout, and and I understand that. And the three national championships, obviously, that helps. And the last one is, and I think from a journalistic side, and I think we can all appreciate this as, as journalism students, is that, uh, you know, this this was a really interesting thing to see. Um, you know, Robert talked about how he had all the president's men playing in the background <laughs> for weeks, yeah. and I, that was really cool to me in my sort of nerdy journalism right. geek out for a minute. <laughs> um, and he said, you know, and, and something that struck me about this story, and I think this is a good lesson for anyone who's going into re- reporting, is he said, if you ever take back and say, oh, this is going to be big, this is going to be do this, you're going to make a mistake. Trust me, don't do it. Just keep reporting and keep reporting and keep reporting, and then 18 years later, do a film on it, and then you can look back. And and that, that was just really cool to me to hear, and I think that that really shows you that... Th- I, Robert was not in this for awards. He wasn't in this to break some giant story. He was in right. this to figure out what the hell was going on, why there were three guys who left, and this is what ha- and this is what he uncovered. Um, and, and I think for for 
uh, aspiring journalists such as ourselves uh this was th that was something that was really cool and i thought that was really cool about his talk and that they focused on the journalism in this story um in addition to the the uh the actual uh story itself well uh guys anyone else got anything to say are we good not much i think i got all my words out all right well, good for uh, you well, happy right. finally all right well <laughs> That'll do it for us here on the Indiana Daily Student Men's Basketball Podcast. Uh, we'll be back next week. We've got uh, Penn State this week. Uh, and Louisville on and Saturday. And Louisville on Saturday. Louisville. It's, it's going to be a good couple of days, some good tests for the IU basketball team. We'll have all your previews, all your midweek content. we got some stuff right up now on Indiana's newest commitment, who we haven't even talked about yeah, yet, Trace, Trace Jackson Trace Davis. Trace Jackson Davis, who, who one, committed to IU, five-star recruit. One of our guys go to Bloomington North to, to watch him play, so you can get a first-hand look at what he may bring to the Hoosiers in the coming years yeah absolutely so we'd be a miss if we didn't mention that but uh anyway so we've got a lot of great context for you content rather coming mm -hmm. for you uh thank you again to robert abbott for sitting down with me uh for, thank you to the john Dahl for uh putting on that and robert as well for putting on the screening uh it's been a wild week from uh from north carolina to bloomington we're back it's mid-season basketball is is upon us and it's it's rolling here in bloomington so uh thank you all for listening to the indiana daily student men's basketball podcast for murphy wheeler and cam drummond i'm ben portnoy we'll see you next week